we left off last week, we talked about the enemy of the soul and that being the flesh. One of the difficult things to overcome in living for God is our own nature. And so that's probably the most prominent enemy. And tonight we're going to talk about the second one, and that is the world. So we've chosen to launch our study out of 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 20. If you have your Bible, say amen in whatever fashion that you are observing it. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, don't want to go back and get entangled into the stuff that God brought us out of. Amen. Praise God. God brought you from pollutions of the world. You don't ever want to go back to those pollutions again. It becomes even worse than when God brought you out the first time because now you know God brought you out and you're back in the same condition that you were in in the beginning and the scripture said it's even worse the second time. It is like a dog returning to its own vomit and the sow that was washed her wallowing in the mire. Enemies of the soul, the world can become an enemy to our soul. Lord, we thank you and praise you tonight for your blessing, your anointing that we feel in the house of God, the uplifting of your spirit and ability and encouragement. We pray that the scripture would strengthen us tonight as we examine it, spend some time in it. We ask that you would direct us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word, enemies of the soul, the world. The scripture uses three important terms to describe the world. Three important terms. Um, one of them is cosmos. Some people say cosmos, but in the original Greek, it is cosmos. And in English, people sometimes will say cosmos. And that is the orderly arrangement of the world. So it's the world and the inhabitants. So it's talking about the world and its structure and everybody that is in the world, it's the sum total of what God has created, and specifically, it's the abode of humanity. So it's that order of things in which humanity moves and of which humanity is the center. So when we're talking about the world, we're putting more emphasis on the world with humanity and its involvement rather than just the physical world Itself. Sometimes it can refer to the customs, the values and habits of a sinful human society. So that when, when the scripture talks about that kind of world, it's talking about the sum total of the world. It's created order, it's inhabitants and all the customs and everything 
that go with it. And so there are some scriptures that help us understand uh, that kind of understanding. And when you look them up in the original, it would be the cosmos that is, that is referenced here. Like John chapter 1 and verse number 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So it's talking about humanity as the center of the world. He's in the affairs of the world. The world was made by him, everything that he created, and the world knew him not. Not talking about the physicality of trees and, and creation, but the world, that sum total of everything, knew him not. Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, the scripture said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. This is Paul preaching at Mars Hill. And he's talking to them about an altar where he saw an inscription and it said to the unknown God. And Paul stood up on Mars Hill and he said, I want to talk to you about the unknown God that is actually known. You don't know who he is. You have an altar here, but I want to let you know that the known God is Jesus Christ himself. And so he testifies on that mountaintop. First John chapter 2 and verse number 15, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is talking about an attraction to the world that is so unproductive that it pulls you away from the things of God. So when we talk about the cosmos or the cosmos in the New Testament, that's the understanding. It's the sum total of God's created world and people and humanity in it and all that goes with that. So that's, that's one definition of the world. The second definition that is the most pronounced, and this is the one that really is the enemy of the soul, and that is the Greek word ion, ion. It means space or period of time. It's a lifetime. It's one's time or life or age. Age is probably the best definition, and I own is the age of the world. The world has a certain influence and a certain age of time. So it can mean age, it can mean perpetuity, it can mean present or future course. So an I own is the age or course of the world in its specific time. And we can see verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4 that helps us with this definition. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the I own, the age, the time frame that people are living in hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So in this definition, it includes a realm of unbelief. It is an age of time. It is an unbelief, and people get sucked into that, and it blinds them to the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present World. He was talking about the Ion. He loved the present age more than he loved the things of God. And therefore, he forsook 
the goodness of God, and he forsook working with the apostle Paul. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the age. Don't be conformed to the pattern or the time that you are living in because there is a system and values associated with that. So that's what I own means in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. In Titus chapter 2 and verse number 2, when Paul is talking to Titus, he said, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We should live for God soberly. We should live for God righteously in this present age. Because in, in each epoch of history, there's going to be different ages. And there's going to be different values. And there's going to be different things that you have to struggle with. One age may be different than another age. And that is what I own means. So it's a realm of unbelief. It is an enemy of the soul that can conflict with our walk with God. And there's different Different circumstances in different ions or different ages. Our battle and our struggle is not the same as in the first century. There may be parallels. There may be things that connect, but our struggle is much different than in different ages. And so the ion or the age of the world is always going to cause difficulties and problems in our worldview. It's going to be, it will pull people away like Demas that forsook the work of God because of the present age that he was in, in the first century. Amen. I want to be plugged into the kingdom of God and the things of God. I recognize there is a war against the soul and there is a world that is going to confront our lifestyle, our walk with God, the things that we are producing in our life as true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. I recognize that. I understand that and know that. That's why I'm in the house of God here tonight because I want to be directed by his word, not the world. I want to be directed by his spirit, not the spirit of the age. Praise God. And man, we are in an age. We are in an age. Hallelujah. But I'm not going to back up, give in, walk away, hang my head down. I'm going to lift my hands, lift my voice, and say in the middle of this age, I'm serving the Lord. I'm working in the kingdom of God. And it's the best place I could position myself. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord for the kingdom of God. These verses you will recognize very, very, they're, they're very prominent. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 12 is very powerful, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, he's not talking about creation world. He's talking about the age. And there in that passage of Scripture to Titus, he's saying in, when it was written in the first century, in this present age age. Live soberly. Live righteously. Live godly in this present epic of time, in this age of time. And then even Jesus referred to this, this realm, world of unbelief, this, this system that can come against us when he's talking about the sower that goes out to sow, and he sows on different types of grounds. And he referred to one type of ground 
and what happened to the seed in it in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 22, talking about the different age that we live in or people can find themselves in. And he said this, he also that receives seed among thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. So the enemy of the soul in an age of time, it can steal away the productivity of the seed that is planted in the ground. And if it's among thorns, then there is a choking that happens. It is choked off. And so a person is not as productive because of the type of ground and where they find themselves. So this would be much like the seed of God that is planted in the life of somebody in this present age, and God starts doing doing great things in their life, but there's the other things that kind of get in the way. They have all these, these other connections and difficulties that choke off what God is doing. And so when that happens, then they don't see the full fulfillment of what God wants to do in their life and the destiny that God has in their life. We need to pray for individuals like that. They come in, God does a great work, but they got a lot of problems. They got a lot of difficulties. There's things in their life and attachments in their life. And so they get overwhelmed and the thorns choke off. In the age of time, the ability for God to take them where they need to go. We need to pray that God gives them power and ability and strength to overcome everything that would choke off. Man, I want to preach just for a few moments here. You got a great opportunity, but don't let the world choke you off of in terms of you living for God. There is nothing that should be greater than the kingdom of God and what God is doing in your life. Don't let the enemy and the God of this age try to set you up and tempt you and pull you away and choke out the very thing that God wants to put in your life. Destiny, purpose. Hallelujah, we've all faced that. We've all felt the temptation. Thank God there are saints of God that said, no, I'm not going that way. I'm not being directed by that because I know what God is doing. I'm not going to let the enemy choke out the life that God has put in me. Praise God. Hallelujah. I know this is Bible study night, but that's just a little preach right there because you can see how it can become an enemy of the soul. Listen, what's, what's the most important thing here? The most important thing is not your physical body. What would it profit for a man to gain the whole world and in exchange lose his soul? We need to think about the soul. We need to focus on the priority of the soul within me. That is what for an eternity is going to live. I want to make sure my soul is right. So I'm not going to let my flesh rise up, and I'm not going to let the world dictate the terms of my life. I'm going to let God dictate the terms. Listen to me. You better be very careful who you allow to influence your life because it could impact your soul. You're not coming into my life and influencing things that would cause me to go to hell. I'm not going down that direction. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let things come in. Choke me out. Hallelujah. Not going to let it happen. 
So the age, the age is a time frame, and it's not necessarily. So the, the, the first definition, the cosmos, is the creation and all the people that is in it as a sum total. This definition is talking about the age in which one lives, and there is a struggle. And then the last one is oikumene, which is just a word that means land, globe, or earth. So that's talking about the actual land, globe, or earth. It's literal ground, the earth, the scope of God's creation. And so we'll get verses like Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. So in this, this place, Jesus is saying the gospel is going to spread around the world. And he's, he's talking about the physical globe. Luke 2, 1, and it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So he's, he's talking about geographical, physical things. And in one last one, uh, Acts chapter 11 and verse 28, there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world. There was going to be a famine. So he's talking about the earth and the world. So these, these are three words that are used to describe the world. And so what is our enemy? If that's the case, then what is our enemy? Our enemy is not the physical components of the world. Our soul's enemy is not the earth. It's not even really the cosmos, although sometimes when you're talking about that and the people in it and their values, it can, can be interchangeable with our main enemy, which is the age that we live in. Our enemy is the age that we live in, the ion. And from the ion, there is all kinds of inventions. There are allurements. There are enticements. There are carnal trappings. There are places and events invented by humans that can pull us away from our focus on the kingdom of God. And every generation produces an atmosphere and an environment that is peculiar to its own day. So there, the age changes, and we are in an age of flux. And when anybody says we're in an age of, they're talking about a time frame that has a context in it. And it can be destructive to our spiritual life if we involve ourselves too deep into it. And this state of that world is in a state of flux. It is ever-changing. It is ever-moving. It's reaching out to devour the souls of people and get them off track and, and the thorns of life can choke off <clears throat> their walk with God. We can look back even in our own lives and recognize that everything is in flux. It changes, it moves, and technology has come a long, a long, long way. And I can remember back in the day when the Internet was just coming to prominence. People were trying to build websites and people were trying to figure out, well, how's that going to... How's that going to be something that's, that's productive or effective in marketing and sales? And now, now that, I mean, you wouldn't even imagine going back to a day without uh, the Internet and websites because everything is done on it. It is, it is, it is fascinating. Uh, we went to L.A. just recently and could not. We were trying to find some uh, money, some cash for valet parking to give to the valet parking attendant, could not find a place that actually used cash. We went to a coffee shop, no cash. We went to a restaurant, we don't take cash. 
Every, everywhere we went, they didn't take cash. So our society is in flux, and, and there's ramifications to, to all of that. Now, what is presently coming on the scene, that people are scratching their heads trying to figure out how does it work and what is it going to do, is artificial intelligence, AI. AI is chatbots and things like this. You think you're talking to a person. You're, you're not talking to a person. You're talking to some chat box that is artificial intelligence. And then, and then there's been a big discussion. They even put a hold on artificial intelligence study because it, it frightened them a little bit because it felt like they were ceding control to inventions and technology. And these are people that are not even faith-based individuals. These are just secular people saying, hold on a minute, we need to stop this because how, how do we create uh, something like AI from being immoral? And so those, those kind of philosophical questions are happening. And that there's, there's some positive elements, just like the Internet and rising in its prominence. There were things that you could use that are very useful. There are also things that are very, very harmful. And then we never even envisioned a day in which on your phone you've got social media. Everything's connected to an app. And, and so the, the age is in flux. It changes. In the first century, <laughs> during that age, they weren't dealing with technology like we're dealing with. They were still dealing with the problems of humanity and difficulties and carnal nature and a world system because the Roman Empire was so very prominent and the emperors felt like that they were God and there was idol worship and emperor worship, and that caused persecution among the church. So they were struggling. It's not like we would look back at their day and say, well, they don't have it as bad as we've got it because we're dealing with all of this stuff. But it's a different age. And so in every age, there's different distinct struggles. We are now in an age of gender dysphoria, and people are trying to figure out. We got uh, Facebook and some of the others have this big, long list of all different types of gender. It gets confusing. People are trying to, to talk about pronouns and and. and and one particular guy said, uh, fishing, I've never fished before, but I'd like to be a fisher them. Fisher them? Yeah, because his pronoun is they and them. So he, it's fisher them, not fishermen. So we live in an age, we're in an age that's, that's static, it's in flux. And so in every age, the church is, is going to have struggles and there's going to be difficulties, and there's going to be a battle. There is a war against the soul. But I'm just thankful here tonight to let you know that the Scripture said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Not the physical world, but the ion, the age that we're living in. Praise God. You talk about different ages. Daniel was in a different age. But Daniel said, I am going to live for God. You can throw me in the lion's den if you want, and you can try to stop me from praying, but I'm not going to stop praying no matter where you put me. Throw me among the lines. I'm still going to pray and worship because God is more important than the present age, more important than the present politics, more important than anything else in the present world. And so I'm, I'm going to stand my ground. Hebrew children did the same thing. You can throw me in a fiery furnace because Nebuchadnezzar wants to make himself God. And he's got this image that's built up in the plains and he wants everybody to bow. When the music starts, everybody bows. But these three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we are not going to bow. I recognize the age that we live in, but God is the one true living God. I know that there may be persecution coming my way, difficult 
difficulty coming my way. There's going to be a war against the soul, and the world is a primary enemy. But I'm still going to stand strong. My faith is going to be true. I'm going to square my shoulders, lift my head. I'm not going to have a, a, an attitude of in the mully grubs and, and, and God, you know, you just, I wish things were different. I'm going to lift my head to the hills from whence cometh my help and say, God, I know you are with me. You are faithful. And so this is just a spiritual battle that I'm in. And I, I'm, I recognize that. So the flesh can become an enemy to the soul, and the world can. Each generation produces its own ion, its own age, and spirit. And so there will always be false doctrine, wrong codes of conduct, conduct and worldliness in our society. So we have to, as a people of God, as a church, as individuals, we have to judge each teaching and practice by the scripture as to its spirit, its truthfulness, and the direction to which it tends. You know, some things are not, a lot of times people get in some of these, these uh, arguments or discussions and they immediately gravitate to, well, is it a heaven or hell issue? Uh, well, that, let's ex talk about that and maybe, ex well, is it a heaven or hell issue? Heaven or hell issue? It's, that's not asking the right question. <laughs> If the age that you're living in is tending to a particular direction, sometimes you put up boundaries or guardrails to keep yourself from going in the tendency of the age. And if you don't have strong guardrails and you don't have strong boundaries, you're going to end up getting sucked into. I read where the Methodist church has split completely in half. It is, it is split completely in half over the discussion of sexuality because there's half of the Methodist church Instead of putting guardrails up, they're, they're going in the tendency of the age. And so it has fractured their whole organization. So sometimes the question that we should ask is not whether it's a heaven or hell issue. There's some things that I do that's not a heaven or hell issue, but it's boundaries to keep me from going in the tendencies of things that will end up being a heaven or hell issue. That's what boundaries are. That's, that's what boundaries are. That's what standards are. And, and if you don't have that understanding of what a standard is, you won't understand the standard, and, and you'll immediately say, well, is that a heaven or hell issue? Okay, but if you start with that, you're leading off with that, what you're doing is trying to figure out how you can get away with stuff, and that's human nature. And eventually, you'll go to the point where there won't be any identity at all in your life of who you serve in the kingdom of God because you're trying to figure out how far and how much can you get away with something rather than saying, God, I want my spirit and my heart right, and I don't want to tend toward worldliness. I want to tend toward godliness. And so in some cases, people give up the fight, and because of that, they go in a direction that is a, a polluted direction. So a spiritual perception is, is understanding. What direction is that tending toward? And there are people in our lives that are watchmen on the wall that try to make sure that anytime there is an approach of a worldly enemy that wars against the soul, like the world, that we have a good balance to try to figure out, okay, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And therefore, we have to make sure 
that we are living a godly life. So that's our enemy. That is, that is the world. The world in the ionic perception is trying to steal away our efforts, our intents, our motivation, and draw us away and choke out what God is trying to do in our life. So what is, what, what is the world comprised of? Because the enemy is very, very good at marketing things to us. And you see this everywhere. No matter what age we live in, we're going to encounter some elements that make up the world. And one of the things that is a strong passage of Scripture is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. that says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, talked about that, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the world will market to these baser elements. It'll market to the lust of the flesh, it'll market to the lust of the eyes, and it will market to the pride of life. That is the world. We have desires, we have ambitions, we have strong inclinations to be like other people and to participate in activities of our age. But in order to do that, we've got to discern these satanic devices that are peculiar to our day, that are prominent in our day. And then when we recognize that's tending the wrong direction, we have to shun them and remove them for our lives. Why? Because the scripture said <clears throat> that the kingdom of God should take priority in our life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And so God warns us, if no danger existed, then the word of God would not impose any restrictions. But there are dangers, and there are statements that reveal the dangers. I'm not going to read all these passages of Scripture. Some of them you will recognize just in the phrase that I'm saying. But the world has its pollutions. The world has its corruption. The world has its cares. The world has its God. The world has its course. The world has its lust. The world has its fashion. The world has its evil. The world has its wisdom. The world has its spirit. And so we've got to be on guard against the encroachment of these things in our lives. And we cannot allow them to separate us from the love of God. It will choke out every inspiration. It will choke out every passion, every desire to say, God, I want revival. The world with all of its stuff, its lust, fashion, its evil, its wisdom, and its spirit will choke out revival. And you got to stand up and say, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Praise God. I know I'm in a spiritual battle, but I want revival. I want a move of God. I want the things of God. I want the blessings of God. And so I'm not going to be called astray by the world. So there you go. That's the definition of what the world is. That's what the world comprises of. So now here is the application. How do you handle it? <laughs> How do you handle it? What is the answer? Well, if you're looking for a deep, theological, amazing answer and solution, you're probably not going to find it because the most simplistic and elementary thought that can be found in the Scripture is that the only way to handle the world is to overcome it. How do I deal with the world 
and the war against my soul, you have to overcome it. Now, that's easier said than done, but it is simple. You're in a battle. You're in a struggle. The only way you're going to deal with the enemy of your soul, which is the world, is you got to rise above it and say, it's not going to influence me. It is not going to control me. The age that I'm in is not going to direct me. I've got my eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of everything. Amen. My compass is directed toward heaven, not toward anywhere else. I'm not getting off track, but I've got my eye on where I'm going going, my eyes fixed, my heart is fixed, my mind is made up. God has given to me his spirit. I can overcome. I can be an overcomer. Jesus told us we could be more than an overcomer. And so, and so I just, I got to buck up. It means I've got to subdue. I've got to conquer. I've got to prevail. I've got to get the victory. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you need to get the victory. <laughs> get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. You got to get the victory. Praise God. Because there's, you can't, it's not going anywhere. World's not going anywhere. Now, there's some, there are some situations. This is a fascinating thing. There are some situations where you got to get out of where you are in order to get better. Unless there's a radical transformation. I read somewhere uh, with drug addicts that they were pointing out that in Vietnam, a lot of the soldiers that were in Vietnam were, hot, were strung out on heroin. They were using it to, to stay awake, to be alert over extended periods of time. And a lot of them were on heroin. When they came home, 90% of them were able to get beyond the heroin use. And so they were using that example to say a person that is strung out on, on, on drugs can go into a drug rehabilitation and there's only a 10% chance of them overcoming it if they're still in the same environment. That is fascinating. Why? Well, if you're in the same environment, you got, you got the same connections. You, you know where the drugs are. You know who the dealers are. And so the temptation is so great, you're stuck in that environment. You can't get out of it. And so the only way, in some cases, is to get better is there, there, there's a way, all right? The way that I would propose is you let the Holy Ghost do such a transforming thing in your life that you can actually stand up to all the shot callers and say, I'm going to church. Why don't you come to church with me? And you rise above that and you overcome that. But it's very, very difficult if somebody's trying to do that on their own without the empowerment of the Holy Ghost because then they're only operating on their own will. And, and that gets eroded because there's a lot of temptation and connections and struggles. And so they get pulled back into the very thing that we read in this verse. They get pulled right back into the mire. I'm telling you, the only way that we can overcome the world is being an overcomer. And the only way we become an overcomer if it, the Holy Ghost is operating in our life in such a way that we rise above the world and say, I don't want to drink that. I don't want to ingest that. I'm not going out there to do that. I'm living for God. I'm getting involved in my church. I'm going to impact my community. God's going to do ministry in my life and I'm going to have a testimony of the goodness of God. How God brought me out, I'm not going back to the weak and beggarly elements of the world, but I'm going to trust God. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. As the musicians come tonight, we come to a conclusion. There are several verses here that help us understand that. In John chapter 16 and verse number 33, Jesus, who is our example, he said this in John 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have what? Overcome the world. If Jesus overcame the world, but he sent his spirit to us through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost, he's telling us if I've overcome the world, I'm giving you my spirit so that you can overcome the world. What a hope. What a hope. We're not wandering out here aimlessly, but God has given to us a power, and he has empowered us. And so we're, we are to overcome evil with good, says Romans. There is victory that overcomes the world, says 1 John. We can overcome because of the power that is in us, 1 John. If we overcome, we will inherit all things. God has made some glorious promises to people who are overcomers. It's fascinating. We don't have time to spend here and looking at it, but if you go into Revelation, you start reading in the first part of Revelation to all the churches of Asia. We had the opportunity of visiting each and every one of them. At the end of every single one, every single, every single church, they're not sp spread out greatly in, in geography, but every single one of them were dealing with the ion, the age, and see so all that different struggles. And so Jesus is speaking to each and every one of these, and the last phrase that he gives is, if you overcome, there is something that comes your way. So, for example, Ephesus, if you overcome, you will eat of the tree of life. Smyrna, if you overcome, you will not be hurt by the second death. Pergamus, if you overcome, you will eat of manna and you will receive a white stone. Thyatira, if you overcome, you will have power over the nations. Sardis, if you overcome, you will be clothed in white raiment. Philadelphia, if you overcome, you will be a pillar in the temple of God. Laodicea, if you overcome, you will sit with Christ in his throne. So in each and every one of these churches, if you overcome, there is blessing that comes. When we overcome the world, the enemy of our soul, God brings blessing to us. Praise God. Hallelujah. We can talk about the enemies of the soul, but here's what's greater than that. We understand that's a struggle and a battle that we fight, but there is something greater that God gives to us and the ability to be an overcomer. He does not take us out of the world to protect us at the moment we are born. Only the rapture will solve that problem. And until that happens... We must live, work, attend school, be neighbors, walk among our peers in society. And I know that's a struggle, a difficulty at times because wheat and tares grow up together. Sheep and goats will pasture together. Two will grind at the mill and work together. Side by side, we must walk until God separates us. And while we are waiting for his return, we should be a separate people, a holy people, a distinguished people that remains unspotted by the age that we live in. Praise God. I'm convinced that the world that we live in and people coming through our doors, they're not happy with the fact that churches have lowered the bar. They're not happy that they have eliminated all standards at all. I think they're looking for something that's different, that is recognizable, where God is at work. And there is a people that is trying their best. We're not perfect. We understand that. We know that. 
But we're trying our best to overcome the world. Praise God. While using the world, we should not abuse it. God's promises are to the overcomers, not the conformers. We're not to conform to the world. We're to be an overcomer. And our age, the time that we live in, needs a witness. Praise God. I said the age that we live in needs a witness, needs a light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God, your Father, which is in heaven. God, help us to the best of our ability. I know that we struggle because we're humanity, but help us to be the very best that we can be so that we overcome the elements and the age and the influence and the pride of the world and we be what the church is supposed to be and you're in operation and you're moving and you're flowing and hurting people can find the house of God and recognize this is what I've been looking for. I don't want to be influenced by the world that is in opposition to me, that is trying to destroy me, but I want to be in the house of God where there is peace and where there is mercy and the faithfulness of God is walking with me. Praise God. I wonder if we could stand to our feet tonight and we could lift up our hands and we could pray this prayer. Lord, help me to be an overcomer. Let your spirit in my life help me to rise above the influence that is around me. And let me be a light that's on a hill, salt of the earth. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You know what? There's some battles that we've lost with our flesh. Anybody lost a battle with your flesh before? Come on, let's be honest. Anybody lost a battle with your flesh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody lost a battle with the influence of the age or the temptation and everything that goes with it, that system that actively works against God? Anybody ever lost a battle, struggle there? Oh, yeah, we all have. We all have. But you know what? You just get back up and you say, God, I recognize the only way to overcome something. You're not going to, unless it's the rapture of the church, I'm going to face something today. Tomorrow it may be a completely different battle. But I know that your spirit and your anointing helps me overcome the difficulties that I find myself in. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your spirit. I'm going to stay full of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to be renewed in the spirit. Praise God. I'm going to walk according to your goodness and your greatness. I'm going to let your mercy form and shape me. I'm not going to conform, but I'm going to overcome. Praise God. That's the prayer we need to pray every single day because the world is an enemy of the soul. Amen. We're going to make an appointment with the altar. We started doing this, and I like it because it's movement, and so we're going to make an appointment with the altar. And I want the ministry to come right here. We have two uh, handkerchiefs that we need to pray for. One of them is for Yvonne, which is Doris Williams' sister. They can't have surgery because of complications with lungs. And then there is a family here with us from Tehachapi, and we want to pray for this handkerchief for Victor Garcia who's having heart surgery. Praise God. Praise God. Minister, if you'd come right here in the front because people are scared of the front, so if you fill the front, that'd be great. Yeah, and we're also going to do one for Daryl Osborne. Praise God. Jesus. Amen. We're going to pray for this. We're going to pray for... For anything that you're in prayer for, 
Hallelujah. Now, now listen to me, church, this little house clean. I don't want you to be intimidated. Like, don't stop in the, at the end of the aisle. I want you to walk with authority. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. Come on, Sister Jeannie. Show them. Come on. Step right up here. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. That's, that's it. That's, that's, what, that's what we want. Amen. We're going to end this way in prayer. Praise God. In the altar. I'm going to make an appointment in the altar and say, God, I want you to touch my life. Praise God. Lift up your hands. Let's lift up our voice and pray together. We pray for everything. I thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost, church. Lift up your voice, lift up your face. Lord, I thank you, praise you. Help us to overcome by your power, by your ability. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for healing. We pray for redemption. We pray for strength tonight, Lord. that is close to you. Amen. Put your hand on them. We're going to pray together. Hallelujah. We bind in the Holy Ghost right now. We ask for your anointing and your strength and your ability. Feel the unity that is in this place and know that there is power when we speak your name. Hallelujah. So we say in Jesus' name, whatever my brother or sister is praying for, we agree together because we know that when you are in the midst of two or three, your presence and ability is there. So we agree together in the power of the Holy Ghost. And we worship you and we praise you. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let the Holy Ghost do a work. Let the Holy Ghost do a work in the house of God tonight. Hallelujah. Simple prayer has power. It has authority. It has ability. Thank you.
name. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. We call your name in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We call your name in Jesus' name over every person. Hallelujah. Every person that is here, every need that is represented, every request that we bring to you. Praise God. Help us to be an overcomer. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Read somebody that is close to you. Man, you might have prayed for them. Let them know. Hey, I'm praying for you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. There is lasagna and things over in the cafe. Hallelujah. Thank God.